0: better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, so says Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We've recently had a great example of mourning with the death of Queen Elizabeth II, and today I want to talk to you about establishment evangelism, because there's never been a better example of establishment evangelism than the funeral service of Queen Elizabeth II. Welcome to this podcast from Two Ways Ministries. I'm Philip Jensen. Establishment is a strange word, isn't it? We kind of know what the establishment is, and yet, by its very nature, it's not clearly delineated. The establishment refers to a group in a society exercising power and influence over matters of policy, opinion, of taste, and generally is seen as resisting change because they are the ones who have the power and the influence. Evangelism is connected to establishment in that we need to evangelise them, they need salvation as much as anybody else, but also in that through them we'll be able to reach other people. They are the people in control of the platforms in control of the ideas and the forms and structures of society and so we hope that through them we will be able to reach the world. As the establishment gives permission as it provides platform as it gives out approval to us we are tempted to join in with the establishment or seek the permission, the platform, the approval of the establishment to be able to share the gospel with others. Queen Elizabeth II's funeral is as best as could be expected in establishment evangelism. It was possibly the largest audience ever to have the gospel preached to it at one time, as millions of people around the world tuned in to listen to what was being said, what was being done. And Queen Elizabeth II was as good an example of a Christian monarch as we've had. The history of the royal family has not been a history of great Christian monarchs. The Christianity has been very sus on most occasions. But with this Queen, she was one who publicly and as best we can see privately was committed to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as much as she understood it and who was seeking to live a life of duty and responsibility to God as well as to the people. When the funeral happened, so much of the service reflected that kind of Christian commitment that she had lived. I understand that uh, she had chosen parts of the gathering, of the, the order of service, of the, the hymns. The prayers that came from the prayer book spoke of Christ, spoke of the resurrection, and spoke of our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the hymns, love divine, all love's excelling. What a wonderful hymn from the, from the great evangelical revival. Even the anthem as the coffin was brought into the church the the choir was singing from Job chapter 19 about the resurrection the references to Jesus and the resurrection peppered its way all through the gathering those great Bible readings from 1 Corinthians 15 and from John 14 so clearly expressed our hope in the age to come that is reliant upon Jesus and his resurrection but Christianity is not about the kingdoms of this earth. Christianity is about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. If we are to have a role in this world, it's the role of the prophet, those who speak the words of God. Yes, we will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ, but now we speak by the Holy Spirit. The prophetic word of the gospel to the world. And the prophet is always counter the government. The prophet is calling upon the government to live in obedience to God rather than just exercising power for their benefit or even their perceived benefit of the community. It's the call back to God, the call to repentance, which is the note of the prophet the establishment does not like that message. Any system of society or government which elects me to be in charge is one that I think is good and doesn't need repentance. The establishment do not live in a context where they want to repent. They want to further their power and authority and their, their way of life. And they certainly don't want divisions within society they don't want hostility they don't want any revolution they don't want any disturbance the establishment does resist change in one sense they look back to the past and express that you you saw it in the funeral if you observed any of the funeral it it wasn't so much going back to the 1950s it was going back to edwardian england if not even further back all the protocols that were being followed, all the military establishment. It was back to the British Empire, which had already in name disappeared before the Queen became the Queen. It wasn't just the Commonwealth. It was imperial. But yet, at that point, it becomes unreal. It becomes unreal to see any concept of Horse-drawn, well, we don't actually use horses now. In fact, the very military that was using the horses wouldn't think of using horses in any military campaign. It's all the old world. What happens when the establishment changes? Well, that becomes very difficult, for the establishment likes to be seen as the preservers of stability and security, where there is little change. But of course, in a country like Australia especially, the establishment has changed in its values and its virtues, its ideas of what's right and wrong, considerably over the period of time that Queen Elizabeth reigned. Indeed, multi-faith denial of God is much more the character of our society today than the Christianity which reigned in the late 1940s and into the early 50s. It's very hard for the establishment to actually reflect Christianity. You remember the words of Jesus, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Of course, the English establishment are not necessarily rich. They notoriously are trying to marry American heiresses to be able to get some wealth. It's, But yet, The establishment and wealth do go together, and wealth and the kingdom of heaven don't go together. It's very difficult for people of the establishment to really be truly Christian. The famous eighteenth-century Countess of Huntingdon, Selina, why she was considered mad by the rest of the establishment. You can't be much more establishment than a countess, but her real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ led her into conflict after conflict with the establishment, the established church as much as any other part of the establishment, as she set up her own uh, her, her own chapels and her own chaplains to preach the gospel. Australian establishment, of course, is different to English establishment. We don't go back centuries such as they do. We're much more bogan. It's much more concerned just with crass money and wealth. You can become part of the establishment within a generation here. All you've got to do is make a lot of money and you'll be accepted into the establishment. Yet there is still this sense of people who know people, who have been at the right schools, who have gone to the right universities, who have connected with the right people via marriage and the like. And to see any of them truly converted and preaching the gospel to others is to see them marginalised. I had a lovely friend once who came from a very establishment family. And uh, dear Mary... She got converted thoroughly and completely. I think it was at the first Billy Graham crusade back in 1959. And she set to to share the gospel with all the people in her network and her social community, and she became known everywhere as Mad Mary. They laughed at her, they scorned her, even though she was willing to put herself out to have the gospel shared with these people who so sadly and badly needed to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ but they wouldn't listen to Mad Mary. We Anglicans in Australia have had a sense of establishment. We're not really established in that we don't have an established church in Australia as they do in England but we still have that kind of sense that if there was an established church it would be us. That the kinds of leading people of our society will be people connected to us. When I was working in the cathedral for some decade or so, the the cathedral ministry was one which couldn't help itself but caught up in establishment. Members of the royal family from England, when they were in Australia, came to our church. And there were great times of, of our society being spoken to from the cathedral pulpit. And this is a good and right thing. I'm not, not decrying it for a moment, but it was very difficult to do it. There was always pressure to have multi-faith services. Whenever any government program came, when anyone there was some kind of civic service, there was great pressure to, to have people from other faiths coming and sharing in this service. When anybody from the establishment died and their funeral was to be conducted from the cathedral, the eulogies were considered very much more important than the sermon. In fact, there was great pressure not to have a sermon, just to sing the praises of the dead rather than the praises of the risen Lord. You see that sense of establishment also with our schools. Some of the schools that we actually control and own and were established before the establishment. They were established in order to teach Christian values. One of them was established to train the daughters of clergy, for example. But because... We have believed in education long before the government decided to believe in education. Our schools are very old, and because they're very old, they are the ones who have got great tradition and value and indeed money. Some of the most expensive schools are our kinds of schools. Are our schools. But high fees and great facilities means that the kinds of people who send their children to these schools are establishment people people who think they know what is best for society, what is best for their children, and who are not going to be told by any local school, even the ones they're paying for, especially the ones they're paying for, as to what should or shouldn't be taught in the curriculum. They ignore that these are Christian schools. From their point of view, they're our schools. They're establishment schools. They don't mind a little bit of religion, But they do not want the Christian worldview promoted and taught, especially in anything that would be contrary to the establishment views of our society. You see the same kinds of problems in the ways in which Anglicans are so beholden to the Sydney Morning Herald and the Australian Broadcasting Commission, because in previous generations, these represented the establishment views of the kinds of Anglican Protestant world. The fact that they've moved on considerably in both their worldviews and their and their programs seems to not be noticed by those who of the establishment still read their SMH and still listen to the ABC as if this was still teaching the worldview of the 1940s and 50s. Now, funerals are not evangelistic rallies. When we conduct funerals and when we go to funerals, we're we're praying for the grieving. We're praying for ourselves. And yet, Ecclesiastes 7 and 1 Thessalonians 4 are very important passages to understand how Christians grieve see, Queen Elizabeth II, she was as good an example of a Christian monarch as we could have, but yet, but yet the gospel still could not be preached clearly at her funeral, for it was an establishment funeral. See, think back to Ecclesiastes 7. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. Here is a moment in time for our community, our society, to stop and think about death itself and resurrection, to gain wisdom in the light of the reality of our mortality. Here is the moment for the gospel to make clear the very nature of life and death, resurrection and eternal life, judgment and condemnation. The great issues are all there in the death of a monarch. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, said, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The way in which we grieve is to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. You can't grieve as a Christian without reference to the death and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel lies at the heart of a Christian funeral. Those who do not have the hope of the resurrection, they need to be warned, they need to be encouraged, they need to be challenged by the very message of the resurrection that gives us hope in the face of mortality. And herein lies the problem that you could see in the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. There was the preacher who preached to possibly the largest audience that he will ever preach to. The largest audience that the gospel is likely to be hearing in this century. And here it was, a five-minute sermon. It, It was a sermonette. It was very clear, it was very lucid, it was very well constructed, but frankly, it couldn't challenge the world with the great gospel news of the Lord Jesus Christ in a five-minute sermon. It just wasn't going to work ever. In it, he refers to John chapter 14. Well, that was what was read to us. But he, of course, refers to verse 6a, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Which is fantastic to actually get the name of Jesus and to see Jesus is the way, but no reference to the second half of the very same verse No man comes to the Father except by me. See, establishment evangelism will always accept the positive, but never the negative. I mean, the most memorable line, the the high point of the sermon, the conclusion of the sermon is, we'll meet again. It's a very clever rhetoric. It takes you back to the Second World War and the Vera Lynn song, which the Queen herself used in her COVID uh, broadcast. I mean... She was saying after the broadcast, we'll meet again. It's it's like the Second World War. We met again. We'll all come together again. But to say to the masses of the world in the face of the judgment of God, we'll meet again, is untrue. We won't. For there is a great gulf that occurs between Abraham's bosom, where the poor man lay, and where the rich man Lazarus was sent in Hades in pain. Oh, certainly there were parts of the prayer book service where the resurrection language was used, but then there were other prayers, prayers which were just pious platitudes of a modernistic world. There were prayers for the dead, or were there prayers for the dead? You see, The wording was so ambiguous we are not quite sure what it is we were praying. It was like the music. Wonderful to hear to sing these great Wesleyan hymn. If we could actually understand the words, if we could even hear the words, if we'd know the words. And that Job 19, it wasn't until it was almost over that I realised what they were singing and I actually knew the words and had heard the singing before. But you can't be sure what's being said. The purity of musical presentation is what the establishment is interested in. The content of what that music is trying to say, well, that's not of any interest, especially when it is so harsh as to indicate that there is a salvation, or worse, that there is a damnation. The English culture is one that is wonderful in its understatement but the understatement makes it so difficult to clarify what the gospel is saying. That is not how you get to know the gospel. Indeed, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ and love him and his ways, we can be thrilled by hearing in that service, in that gigantic aesthetic cathedral building, the name of Jesus, the the fact of the resurrection being referred to, the Wesleyan hymn that we love being sung. But those who do not know Jesus couldn't have heard, wouldn't have heard a word of it. The readings? Well, of course, King James Version. Let's not read the Bible in any language that anybody could understand today. It's so sad that where is the Reformation? was adamant that the Bible had to be in the language of the people. We now use the Reformation Bibles to make sure the people do not understand what is being said. One reader laboured to try and make the quite difficult translation of 1 Corinthians 15 understandable, but in the labouring made it so hard to listen. The other clearly didn't understand the passage that was being read in the way in which it was read. But it didn't matter because the preacher didn't use either of the readings anyway. You see, the gospel was there for those who knew it already and didn't need to hear it. But it was obscured by the establishment's acceptance. And that's always the way with establishment evangelism. We think we will get further by being in with the establishment, but we forget the cost involved in being in with the establishment. They do not want the gospel preached and they will mute its tones. They will censor its language. They will refuse to allow it to be proclaimed. Now, We must be more willing to be the outsiders like the Lord Jesus Christ, rejected and despised, to be those who will suffer the way of the cross. For the way of the cross is not the way of establishment, and evangelism is the way of the cross, not that of the establishment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for Queen Elizabeth. We thank and praise you for the great words that were said, the Bible readings that were given. We thank you for the many people who heard the name Jesus and heard the word resurrection. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to speak to the world. But we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to have our confidence in your word and in being faithful to it rather than to be those established in our society of any significance and importance. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this new podcast from Philip Jensen at Two Ways Ministries. Philip will be bringing to you new regular episodes on a variety of topics and current issues. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with his latest.